Welcome in to the Fumbling Punter Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Keeney. Give us a follow on Twitter at Fumbling Punter and visit FumblingPunter.com. So today we have a great interview with St. Louis Game Times' Brad Lee, who joined it. You're not going to want to miss that interview. Also in the world of the Fumbling Punter, Anthony Ogden is on site at spring training sending us some good pictures that we're getting to repost. I'm trying to get him to interview Bryce Harper. (laughs) I figure if that fails, maybe he can run into Lane Kiffin down in a South Florida bar and get an inside scoop there because we all know Lane likes to frequent the South Florida bars. So starting off the show, I'm going to get some quick NBA news. Kevin Durant has a MCL sprain and is out indefinitely. He will be reevaluated in four to six weeks. I wrote on FumblingPunter.com about how this changes everything. This changes the whole perception of the Warriors and who they are. And I also advised all of you gamblers out there to go make some money on the San Antonio Spurs. Now let's get to that interview with Brad. Maybe a little bit of a longer show today, but I think it's going to be worth it. I highly advise everyone to give this a listen. It's going to be a great show, great interview. Now the Fumbling Punter Podcast welcomes in St. Louis Game Time's Bradley. Brad, thanks for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. Now you run St. Louis Game Time, the fan-run blues paper. Can you tell us how you got involved in that? Sure. It's kind of a, a weird story. So there was a guy named Jeffio. He calls himself Jeffio. He lives in South City uh, here in St. Louis. And he had been to a Blues Blackhawks game in Chicago. And there was this crazy man just standing outside the old Chicago stadium selling this fan-run paper up there in Chicago called the Blue Line Report. And the whole purpose of the paper was to call Bill Wirtz, or more affectionately known Dollar Bill Wirtz because he was so cheap, uh, to, to call Dollar Bill Wirtz every name in the book in his own building. Uh, this, w- this was an owner that didn't allow home games on TV until after his death because he felt like it would possibly take away from ticket sales. Wow. And so he wanted, yeah, and, and it got to the point where as soon as a player reached free agency and was good, he almost always traded him or let him go away because he didn't want to give anyone a raise. It was it was really bad. So Jeff read this paper and he said, you know what? I'm not nearly as crazy as this guy. And, you know, in St. Louis, the Blues are kind of like the second place team behind the Cardinals. As far as media coverage, uh, media attention, even like media know-how, understanding hockey and some of the intricacies of the game. So he decided that he would uh, start his own paper when the new building started, opened. Uh, and, you know, there was a, a certain kind of working class, kind of blue collar fan that kind of felt the pinch when they moved the new building. Ticket prices increased. A lot of the seats looked kind of pink and purplish. And, and Jeffio instantly called it yuppie heaven compared to the old arena on Oakland Avenue near Forest Park. So he ran the paper for 10 years. There was a season-long lockout. He found something better to do with his time. He decided not to do it coming back in 2005, the fall of 2005. So a guy who had written for him named Gallagher decided, hey, you know what? I love the paper, and I want to make sure it goes on, so I'm going to pick up the reins and and go on. He started Game Time, or St. Louis Game Time. Uh, The other paper was known as Game Night Review. Jeffio, when he kind of handed the reins over, he said, you know what? Can you make it something else because, you know, GNR was – kind of my thing and you know you should have your thing so Gallagher started game time it was November 5th 2005 
I happened to go to one of the first games and I had been a reader of game night review for a long time. And I just loved picking up the paper and reading all the little inside jokes and the stats. And one of my favorite things, honestly, was flipping to the middle. So it's a program that you can take to the game and you can figure out who the players on the ice are compared, you know, with their numbers and you can look at their stats and everything. And the far right column has their salary. So you can look at a guy like, uh, you know, say Patrick Berglund, who has 17 goals, but only eight assists on the season. And he's making almost $4 million a year. And you're like, "Mm, that guy might be a little overpaid. That's interesting. So I wrote like every other game for him during that first season in 05, 06. And then 06, 07, we started a blog around the, around the draft uh, when the Blues had the number one overall pick and they chose Eric Johnson instead of Jonathan Taves. Ugh. Yeah, and uh, makes you throw up your mouth a little bit. Oh, it does. And then, and uh, and then he asked me to write the front page of the paper uh, that season, and then I started writing a bunch of the comedy bits, top eleven list, because you know anybody can write a top ten list. We write top eleven list. And then uh, there was another lockout in uh, 2012 slash 13. They pretty much pissed away the first half of the season. And during the lockout, Gallagher kind of threatened once a month to say, you know, I, I think I'm t- kind of done with the paper. Seven years was enough. And I never, I didn't really take him seriously until January of 2013 when the league got serious and they, they ended the lockout and they said they were coming back. And he said, yeah, no, I'm not doing the paper. So I decided to step in as the editor and, and publisher and took over the thing because I, I just felt like, I've been carrying a paper inside the games for so long, I would feel naked not carrying it with me. And, and the other, the other analogy I use is that, you know, say John Bon Jovi, his favorite music is Bon Jovi music, his band. And his favorite part of Bon Jovi music is the live experience and hearing Bon Jovi music live. But to do it, he has to be in the band and he has to tour and write songs and, you know, do all the things behind you know, putting a concert and a tour and everything on. It's a ton of work. And he has to do that to hear Bon Jovi live. But that's okay because he loves it. So, you know, the paper is the kind of same way. I feel like if I wanted to continue, I had to step up and do it. And if it's a lot of work, which it is, and it's a big pain in the butt, um, you know what? I It's the price of making sure that the paper goes on. And, and so now that tradition is more than 22 years wow. of fan-run paper sold outside Blues games. Wow. So you talk about the hard work and the pain in the butt that that is. I have wondered about what your preparation, what preparation for game day looks like for you from writing, editing, printing, and setting up vendors. Can you kind of tell our listeners how the sausage is made to say from your perspective? <laughs> it's not pretty sometimes, I got to tell you. Uh, so it, it's been kind of interesting. So I've, I've run the paper since January 19th, I believe, 2013. And the first couple of seasons, we actually had an office copier in Gallagher's basement. So I would finish the paper, and he's a he's a salesman. So he goes around to different businesses, mainly um, architects and designers. He sells carpet for like office buildings and and nursing homes and that kind of stuff. So he would be basically leaving the house at about eight or eight thirty. So I had to get the paper to him by about seven seven thirty at the latest for him to print in his basement put it in boxes and then put it on his front porch so that my vendor, my head vendor could pick it up in the afternoon. And uh, so we did that for a couple of years and it was really expensive because we had to pay several hundred dollars a month, 12, 12 months out of the year um, for the copier. So wow. 
before last season, not this current season, but the last season, the copier lease ran out and he had it taken out of his basement and we had to find a different way. So we were going to lease another copier and put it in someone else's basement. And then we, we were not treated very well by a lot of the copy salesmen. It was kind of like trying to buy a used car. Uh, you know, Oh, the price is the price for this copier is today, but we're going to have a sale on Wednesday. So you might talk to us then. And then we call on Wednesday and, Oh, you know, with the copier you were looking at just sold, but we've got this one here. And it was, it was a pain in the butt. So we started messaging a bunch of different printing companies and we found, we, we sent a message to a company called copy tech and they, they use only K. So K O P Y T E K copy tech. And the vice president of sales emailed back and said, I know you jerks. I've read the paper. I'll work with you guys. <laughs> and he cut us the um, most amazing deal ever and, and has been awesome. The only problem is they only work Monday through Friday. So on the weekends, we have to have a different printer where he comes in on his off day. The owner of the printing company comes in and prints the paper and we pick it up and get it to the vendor. So, so that's like the physical part of printing the actual paper. Um, we've got a fair number of people who write on a regular basis. Uh, I think four or five, four or five folks write every single game. Some people alternate. Some people write when the, you know, something makes them mad or there's a special occasion or something. Uh, and then, you know, there's some other people who give me things like we have a guy who just does the trivia that's on page three and, and he does the, the puzzle. We have a word find or a, a jumble it's the puzzles different every game uh my wife does the blues record win where she calculates you know losing after one the first period what's their record but we even break it down to like we had it we had it worked out where we were tracking when robbie fabry scored a point what the record was it was like wow. 18 and 3 wow um so that was that was bad when when he went down yeah but then we even track like the day of the week like i think thursday is the blues best day of the thursday or saturday uh, I don't have the paper in front of me, but like we, I mean, we get into really minutia. So it takes me probably six to eight hours of putting, you know, cause I, I read every single word that goes in the paper and I edit it to style. And then I lay out at the pages and we, our paper is 24 pages long. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, and that's, that's with stats and jokes and there's a cartoon and, you know, sometimes at 10 o'clock on the night before a game, I haven't found, you know, somebody hasn't sent me something I'm expecting and I start texting and emailing and tweeting. Hey, remember there's a game tomorrow. You said you were going to send this in and I haven't heard it. You know, um, last week I got a story at 1.45 a.m. <clears throat> trying to go to bed and I had to wait because otherwise it's just like an empty page and you know, maybe we hand out crayons and say, here, color a picture of the blues game to remember the experience. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's crazy. You know, the cool thing is I've, we have found an, so many dedicated blues fans that, you know, want an opportunity to write about the about blues or hockey or, you know, whatever their, their niche is. And we give them a, a place where they have dedicated readers and a, and a loyal audience and you know, I think I think the reader really relates to our point of view because we're we're blues fans at heart, right? So, oh, yeah. it, it's it's you're talking, you're preaching to the choir, basically, and and I think that's the cool part. And you know, we're a very niche publication. We're not we're not you're, you're not going to find us everywhere. You know, there are a lot of fans that don't know who we are or have never given us a chance, and that's fine. But the people who do give us a chance, 
we create really loyal loyal readers and it's kind of like when you, you create in the game and you're you're walking around the con concourse during intermission or before the game and you see someone else who's carrying a, a copy of the paper and i've seen it several times where you, you kind of not look at each other and make eye contact and nod like oh hey i get you you you're you're part of the club you're there's part your, of the club yeah you're a card carrying member by carrying the paper so <laughs> yeah well, you know, I hope you know that those of us that do read it really enjoy it and appreciate all the hard work that you put into that. One of my favorite parts, uh, I love the headlines you use. One of my friends is a big Blackhawks fan, Boo, living in L.A., and I always send him a screenshot of the front page headline when the Blues host the Hawks, and I get a middle finger in return every single time <laughs> without fail. Could you uh, give us some insight on what goes into the creative process behind some of those headlines? <laughs> well, uh, there's not a ton of space, so I can't use a lot of words because we like to use all caps and you know make it big so people walking up to the game, we can grab their attention. And one of my goals is to try to make people laugh. And if I, if I can make people laugh, maybe they'll stop and buy it or thing not very friendly about visiting fans and they walk by um then then that makes it even more fun so there's a, been a tradition i think probably since the beginning of the paper that when the hawks are in town the headline is simply black hawks suck <laughs> and what when i took over the paper in january of 2013 one of the first uh probably five or five or ten games into the season the hawks were here and I didn't go with that headline because I didn't know the tradition at the time because Gallagher had never told me. I had seen Blackhawk suck several times, obviously, but I didn't know that that was the only headline he and Jeffio had ever used for the Hawks. So I, I put the paper together and sent it to him to print, and he texted me back kind of mad at me saying, you know what, you, you jinxed it. They're going to lose tonight because you changed the headline. I said, what do you mean change the headline? I, I, that was the only headline I put on. No, 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 you didn't go with Blackhawk sucks. It's a tradition. I said, well, no one told me it was a tradition. You got to let me know these things. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure they lost that game. Oh. So there's only been one other game since I've been writing the paper that we didn't use Blackhawks suck. Well, I actually I take it back. The playoffs last year, uh, when it get when it got to Game Five and Game Seven, and the Blues could eliminate them, one of them I kind of used uh, Mortal Combat. I put finish them with a big exclamation. I remember point. that. And then there was another. Uh, I, for game seven, I had something similar to that uh, because I, you know, I felt like, you know, the, trying to capture the spirit of the thing. It's like people didn't care what happened in the game. They just wanted the blues to win and move on. And that's what kind of the headline was capturing. But uh, at the winter classic this year, January 2nd at Bush stadium, I, I changed it to taking it outside because I know that there's a, there, there are ushers who don't like the word suck. And I have, personally seen when the cubs have been in town people with cubs suck t-shirts get kicked out of bush stadium or asked to be turned asked to turn their their t-shirt around because they find that that's not family friendly and i didn't want to create a problem for any of our readers carrying the paper in so you know and trying to capture the spirit of the thing with that you know, they're taking it outside so it, and there's kind of a you know connotation you know you're at a bar and have a problem with somebody you're like hey buddy let's take it outside and yeah. so you know it really was kind of uh bad blood between the blues and blackhawks and going from inside scott trade to fight outside basically oh yeah and uh i really appreciated that one too now talking of the winter classic you know that was a lot of fun for the fans whether you were there i was i didn't make that game and 
what were the challenges for you in, in game time setting up for the Winter Classic? This could be a long story, so I'll have to edit myself. <laughs> so I I went about it the right way. So we've had vendors in the same spots for all 22 years. We I think there's we used to have a vendor in the in the garage and the city treasurer's office controls the garage and when they changed treasurers in 2013 they kind of got mad at us and said we couldn't be back in the garage and we've tried vendors in a few other places and you know buying something from somebody and you're not expecting them there you might not know what it is and it hasn't been successful so our three vendors uh outside the garage driveway outside 14th street doors and on the northeast corner of 14th and clark just outside the city hall parking lot on on clark street we've uh you know we've, we've established ourselves there so we didn't want to just show up uh and we did it we did a special issue for the alumni game and that was saturday and then december 31st and then the the winter classic game was monday i didn't want to just show up with our boxes of papers and say hey we're on the paper right here i wanted to do it the right way so i reached out to the blues and the blues we sent a letter to them and contact them before the season just to let them know we're going to be back and if they have any questions or issues for us we drop off papers for them at their offices downstairs by the the doors near the garage and we stay in pretty contact and they they pretty much read every paper you know simply because it's good market research for them for their diehard fans so i i did the right thing more than two weeks before the winter classic i reached out to the blues and i said Hey, can you help us start a conversation and and help connect us with the right people at Bush Stadium or with the league to say, hey, we want to sell. And if we can't be, you know, on the same side of the street as the as the as the stadium or, if, you know, we can't be on Ballpark Village property or, you know, what are the restrictions? And it took them until the night before the the, the alumni game. So that Friday. And I, I bugged them about every three or four days over those two weeks. And I kept saying, oh, they're talking, they're talking. And then Blues President Chris Zimmerman called me on Friday afternoon at about 2 o'clock. And he said, you will have no idea how much game time has been a topic of conversation with the National Hockey League. And I said, is that good or bad? And he said, <laughs> I don't know. I can't believe it's taken this long. He said, so here's the latest proposal. They're going to let you sell next to the vendor selling the official game program. And I said, well, that means we're going to be like right by the gates. That's amazing. Thank you. He said, someone with the league is going to call you uh, hopefully this afternoon and you guys can work it out. And, you know, we'll step back and it's between you and the league then. I said, okay, because it's a league, league, league run event. Five, four, like five fifty-five, four fifty-five. So just before five o'clock, I got a call from an executive vice president uh, in who's from New York, who's in St. Louis at the game. So I had forwarded to the Blues an electronic version, the PDF of the alumni game issue to say, hey, look, if anybody needs to understand what we're selling, here's the copy. That was probably a mistake in hindsight because what we had done for the alumni game, we, we wrote a specific individual story about every Blues player involved in the game, either playing in the game or coaching. So there were 34 stories about different players and then we had a story kind of making fun of how bad the blackhawks team was and we even had a story talking about how some of the former players who have died in recent years how a couple of them definitely would be there and we we would we would be missing them during the alumni game and actually that kind of came to fruition when uh, keith kachuk in like the second or third period wore pavel dimitra's number 38 on the ice and we we wrote about how pavel dimitra would definitely be back if he yeah. was still with us okay so 
let me set this up. So the guy calls up and he says, well, I've got an issue with your paper, first of all, because you've you've taken our logo. And I said, taken? He says, yes, you've taken our logo without our permission. And it's the incorrect logo. It doesn't say Bridgestone on it. And I, I, I think my, my jaw was on the floor. And he said, and you've used it aggressively. <laughs> and I said, he just basically accused me of stealing something and using it all over the place. Because basically what we did with each story was the headline for each player was just the player's name and there was the winter classic logo on one side and the alumni game logo on the other and so there were 34 incorrect logos according to him now i said now first of all you know we are a publication we are a journalistic publication these are journalistic stories this isn't a t-shirt this isn't a hat that we're trying to scam people in the parking lot and not pay a licensing fee you know i think there i think fair use doctrine says that we can use your logo as part of journalistic uh, endeavors. And, and you know, the First Amendment is pretty strong with that. He said, no, 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 you, you should have used the one with Bridgestone. They've paid a lot of money, so you're going to need to reprint. I said, you called me at 455. The company I printed with just closed as you're telling me that you want me to reprint. So it is, and I think you know this, that it's going to be virtually impossible for me to reprint this unless I go to like Kinko's or whatever Kinko's is called, FedEx Kinko's, yeah. and pay like triple what I have already paid to print the paper. It's impossible. He said, well, you know, this is not acceptable. And, you know, and I, I, so we kind of bantered back and forth and I said, okay, while I wrap my mind around what we can do, um, let's, let's move on to another topic. Where are you going to let us sell? He, I said, I've heard that you're going to let us sell next to the vendor selling your official program. He said, yeah, we did explore that. Uh, but we've changed our minds. And after I spoke with the Cardinals and the city, we're going to go ahead and enforce the ordinance that says you have to be a block away from Bush Stadium. Now, the Cardinals run downtown. They have specific rules, specific to game days, specific to events at Bush Stadium that do not apply, that there are nothing similar at the football stadium or the former football stadium or at Blues hockey games or at Chaffetz Arena or any other sporting venue in St. Louis. They have, a, they have an ordinance that says, you cannot sell anything within a block of the stadium unless you pay a special vendor's fee to the Cardinals that is $2,000 a year. Whew. Yeah, we weren't going to do that. We sell the paper for <laughs> four bucks. Yeah. So I said, well, you know, I don't think that would hold up in court because the, you know, the First Amendment says you can't really make any laws that, that stop the freedom of the press. And like I said, we're journalists. Yeah, we're going to enforce that ordinance, and you know, I, I don't want to make a big deal about it, but you need to be a block away. So he starts telling me we have to be north of the Ballpark Village parking lot, almost to Market Street, and we have to be west on the other side of the Weston Hotel, and on and on the south side we have to be on the other side of patios, and on the east side we have to be on Broadway, which you can't even see the stadium from Broadway because oh, the building yeah. is in the way. So, so. I, I'm I'm freaking out and I'm I so I'm like hey, okay I you've given me a lot of different challenges here on Friday night when the game is at one o'clock on Saturday and I I wanted to really rip him a new one but I knew that you know he could say all right well this that conversation's over you need a print and do all this other stuff so he said we talk, we talked back so I actually messaged three attorneys I know my brother and two other attorneys and I was like what do you suggest we do because I don't want to have to raise bail money for any of my vendors, but I, but I don't want to not, you know, I've got 200 and something copies of the paper that I want to sell tomorrow and people are going to look for it. And I got to tell you, 
the alumni issue is probably the coolest thing we've ever done and the most legit thing we've done because every story really told a personal story about that player and what he meant to blues fans and you know his career and and how he fits into the blues history this 50th anniversary season and then kind of what he's done now and you know, there were some jokes and stuff but i mean it was a great primer for if you're a younger fan you learn something reading about these guys that maybe most of them you didn't watch as a hockey fan and if you're an, a, an older veteran fan it brings back a ton of memories when you did watch these guys we got so many compliments from the alumni issue i'm so, I was so glad we did it and i was so afraid we weren't going to be able to sell it so i had two ideas one was that we were going to take a marker or stickers that you take for like uh a garage sale yeah. for the price tag and just stick them on all 34 winter classic logos in every issue that was going to take forever and we were not going to sleep and wow. it was going to be horrible. And I didn't want to do it, but I couldn't reprint. So if I cover the logo or hid the logo, then maybe I could get away with it. Uh, and then I said, and then I said to myself, you know, and if we have to be a block away, I guess we have to be a block away because I don't want to, you know, if, if the Cardinals or the NHL come outside and they flag down a police officer and say, hey, they're breaking city ordinance. Here's a copy of the city ordinance. And the cops looking at me and looking at them, who's he going to side with? He's going to yeah. side with the Cardinals and, and the city ordinance, even if I scream First Amendment from the top of my lungs. So I tried to call him back to see if I could cover up the logo. And he wouldn't answer his phone, wouldn't answer his phone. So at about 9.30, 10 o'clock, he texts back and says, as long as you abide by the, the block radius, We'll let you sell this copy of the paper and we'll re revisit what happens tomorrow before Monday's game. So I didn't have to cover up any logos or anything. So we were good. So the coolest thing was we, we started posting on Twitter and, and our website and on Facebook that, Hey, the NHL was forcing us to be far away from the stadium. Here's where we're going to be. We made a map that we tweeted out. And then we started basically appealing to every journalist that covers the blues that we knew. And they started retweeting it and we got a, tremendous response and i have to thank everyone on twitter who retweeted us and who went out of their way to find the paper we sold out and uh, i've actually we usually try to keep five or ten issues of uh, a copy of each issue and we tr we were going to keep 15 or 20 of the winter classic and the alumni game i don't have any other alumni game copies i'm gonna have to at some point go print more wow so that was that was amazing so then so basically the, the guy didn't talk to me ever again. We put our, and, and nobody came and checked where we were standing because there were so many thousands of people in the, in the ballpark village parking lot that all the security and cops were worried about the entrances and that mass of people. So we were, we actually were a lot closer on Monday and uh, we, but I, I made sure I didn't put one damn logo in the whole paper <laughs> because I didn't want, I didn't want, Joe, Joe, uh, executive vice president with NHL crawling down my throat saying, you did it again. So, <laughs> and uh, anyway. I, I have been at Chiefs games where they've arrested people and for copyright infringement, whatever the case may be. And sometimes, at least in KC, the KCPD is not so nice when they go to arrest somebody. So is that for people selling hats and t-shirts and stuff? Oh yeah. It's a, it's a little bit different, but I, well, yeah. I saw a guy get tackled. So I'm glad that nobody from game time got tackled in the making no, of, no, no, <laughs> no, that worked out. Yeah. So that, that really leads into my next question, which you probably almost hit on completely. Have you ever thought about doing a version of game time for the Cardinals games? Uh, funny. You should ask that. We have, 
previously. So when Gallagher started game time in 05, 06 season, he he got a copier and put it in his basement. And he he honestly did not make enough money during the season to totally cover the copier payments during the summer when the Blues were not playing. So he came up with the idea to do a baseball paper. And that was in uh, the summer of 06. And we did it the summer of 06 and summer of 07. So the first two years of the current Bush Stadium. Yep. And uh, we called it the first pitch presented by game time. And we would do an issue for each homestand. So it's not like we were writing a different cover story for every uh, 80, 81 home games. Oh my yeah. God, that would, that'd be horrible. Uh, so we did, you know, so for each three or four game series, we would, we would have new content. I think sometimes you would update the stats for the standings, but the, the words wouldn't change. And then he came out, he, he ran into the same thing where, he was pushed pretty far away and he didn't really feel like testing the first amendment rights of the ordinance. So he would, he would station himself in a couple of vendors a, a little bit further away from the stadium. What he ended up doing the second season that was smarter was he went around to a lot of the different uh, bars and establishments around Bush stadium where people gather before the games and had them pay for advertising. And then he would print off X number of copies and take them to those bars before the excuse me, before the games. And then they would just give them away for free to their, to their patrons. And so it, it came to be that people would, uh, some, some folks would actually stop by each of those places simply to get a paper. And then, you know, maybe they get a, a drink yeah. uh, while they're, while they're getting the paper. So we, we definitely generated some, some uh, business for them. So that was, that was how we did that. And it was funny. Um, so they won the World Series the first year, and so he came back and said, "Well, I guess we were a good luck charm, so we need to come back and do it again." And uh, it was, it was definitely an interesting experience. I did talk him into during the playoffs, uh, into doing a separate issue for each game because you know there's only a handful of yeah. games, and you know if you're if you're writing about Game Three of the World Series, and you're at Game Four, you know you really want to read what happened in game three and how it impacts game four. So oh, yeah. we went ahead and did, we went ahead and did a separate issue and Gallagher hated it because it was much more work and the blues were playing at the time. And so he was juggling two papers at the same time and we're Ooh. doing one for every game. And he hated me. He said, you, Hey, he's, he said, you're right, but I still hate you. So yeah, that was a weird experience. Then yeah. we, when when it came back around for 08, he finally had, had gotten the paper where it was where he didn't have to do stuff during the summer to cover the copier. And so he announced to us who had contributed to the baseball paper that he wasn't doing it anymore. But if anyone else wanted to pick it up and do it, feel free. And you, no one picked it up and did it. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, died a, it died a quiet death after two seasons. Yeah, well, I, I was wondering about that because I'm, I'm a fairly new hockey fan and – Probably one of my favorite things about the Blues is the kind of the Twitter family of the Blues, you know, interacting with other fans. And I think that like yeah. game time is really kind of a center point of that. And so I didn't know if that's something that had been explored or not. It's um, funny you should mention that because I, I uh, a couple years ago, I think it was 2014, I had been using just my personal Twitter account and I was hovering around 2000 followers and, you know, I, I was doing my own thing under my under my name, and then I realized that you know Game Time had had a Twitter uh, since '09, the same time I had mine, but it was only really used to retweet links to stories on our website. 
but we had about 3,500, 4,000 followers. And I said, you know what? We've, I've got a bigger audience if I use the game time Twitter to tweet stuff. And, you know, it'll still tweet links to stuff. But, you know, during games uh, or just, you know, in the regular course of the day, some blues news happens or something, uh, I could tweet from there. And it's reaching a wider audience. And maybe I can push people towards getting the paper and, you know, it still send links out. So I did that. And I've more than doubled in a couple of years. I've more than doubled the followers. We're up to, I think, 8,200, 8,300 followers, I think. Yeah. And, and we, like, uh, <laughs> during the All-Star game, actor Will Wheaton was trying to take his picture with every NHL mascot was at the game. And so he took a picture with Louie, the Blues mascot, who kind of, he's a blue bear, but he kind of looks like a pantsless blue rat. <laughs> and that's kind, of a, that's kind of a running gag that we have about Louie. And so Will Wheaton posed for a photo with Louie, and it was from the waist up. And so I, I retweeted that and I said, uh, there's no proof that, that Will Wheaton or Louie is wearing pants in this photo. And Will Wheaton responded and said, well, well not wearing pants is the best thing ever. So it, I was like, <laughs> you know what? If, if we didn't have 8,000 followers, he would have just chuckled and moved on to the next tweet probably. So, oh, yeah. you know, we get, we get replies from people all over the place. And the funny part is, you know, we, we try to be smart Alex about the game and I make jokes and, you know, sometimes they're a little aggressive. And uh, during the winter classic, I was making fun of a lot of Blackhawks fans who were at the game. And I found this, this probably late teens, maybe 20 year old girl. And uh, she was definitely college age or maybe in her case, junior college age. And uh, she was wearing a Patrick Kane Jersey. And I saw her face and she I think she was going to keep warm that day outside in January by putting on too much makeup. <laughs> and so I didn't take a picture of her face, but I took a picture of her Jersey that she was wearing Patrick Kane. And, you know, he's been accused of doing some not nice things to women a couple times. And he's not, he's not exactly a model citizen. Yeah. And there are a lot of female fans outside of Chicago who really resent that he's never really been taken to task for not being nice to women okay so i just took a picture of her in the jersey and i quoted ferris bueller's day off charlie sheen's character who's handcuffed in the police station near the end of the movie talking to genie where he says you wear too much eye makeup too much eye makeup and i think she's a whore or i think she looks like a whore so i tweeted that and man there were about fifth there's at least a dozen 15 blackhawks fans that just jumped down my throat attacking me that i was attacking this girl and all i responded with was well all i was all i was doing was quoting a movie about people in chicago <laughs> <laughs> and, and and blues fans who who caught the the attacks were like uh, it is it is uh it is ironically funny that blackhawks fans in chicago don't any best quotes from a movie that takes place in chicago so but it, it like you said it, it it has come become kind of a uh, rallying point center yeah. of it, and and it's kind of the center of, of blues just, twitter part of it is just being around long enough that people read us and i i do take it as a compliment anytime or they retweet or favorite a joke you know it does feel good and kind of you know it's a little bit pat on the back saying hey good job and stuff and you know twitter's twitter it's weird it's oh yeah it's own it's its own little universe and uh but I may make people laugh. So, yeah. 
So let's talk some get to some hockey right now. The trade line, uh, the trade deadline has come and gone, and the Blues traded Shattenkirk for the first round pick, Sanford, and then the conditional second round pick. And the Blues are kind of battling in the, for the eighth spot in the West with the Kings. The Kings went and got Ben Bishop and the guy from Colorado, uh, Jerome Ginla. Yes, and. So what what kind of message do you think the Blues sent with kind of more standing still, getting rid of Shattenkirk there? Well, a year ago they let they kept David Backus and Troy Brower, who were going to be unrestricted free agents. And Doug Armstrong, the Blues GM, that day said, you know, I, I did field offers for David Backus, and I could have traded him for prospects or picks or other players, and and I would have been letting the guys in this lock, this dressing room, this locker room down. That who have fought all season to be put in this position to challenge for a Stanley Cup as we go into the playoffs. And I didn't think it was fair to everybody who has fought all season to get to this point to say, you know what, these two important players, we're going to just try to have to do it without them. He didn't have that speech this year. He said, I couldn't let Kevin Shattenkirk walk because he wasn't. He clearly wasn't going to sign a contract extension here. Yeah. He was one of the most sought-after sought after players uh, in – in free, you know, it could be free agents or at the deadline this year. Uh, he was probably either him or Martin Hansel were the the two best players easily by far who were traded at the deadline. Yeah, yeah. So Kevin Shattenkirk trade, uh, it's a it's a pretty big deal for Blues fans because you know they they trade him like you said for the first pick, the uh, the first round pick, a second conditional, and then a, a prospect nobody really had heard of. So you know, it goes back last year. They maybe talked to Shattenkirk about a contract extension, and he said he wanted to test free agency, free agency at the end of this season. There are stories that they tried to trade him at the trade at the draft last year in June, and that they may have had a deal in place with Edmonton for NHL forwards, maybe Taylor Hall, Taylor maybe, Hall. maybe Ryan, Nugent, yeah, or, or Ryan Nugent Hopkins, or you know who knows, uh, Eberle, Jordan Eberle. So and. After the right, right after that, they did actually trade Taylor Hall, a really good r- winger, to New Jersey for Adam Larson, who is not as nearly good a defenseman as Shattenkirk. Yeah. And the reason that Shattenkirk was not traded to Edmonton was he's from New York, New York City. I think he has a house in the Hamptons, and he went to Boston University in Boston, and he probably wants to be closer to home and his family uh, come next season. So he wants to test free agency and he probably wants to go that way. He does not want to live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada in the middle of nowhere. I get it. I can relate. Yeah, I can (laughs) relate. So he pretty much, he did not have a a no trade clause, but he pretty much had a de facto no trade clause because any team that wanted to to trade for him and keep him long-term past this season had to get him to agree at least as a handshake on a contract extension. So it came out over the weekend that Tampa was ready to trade and had a deal in place with the Blues, and it was contingent on him agreeing to a contract. And so they offered him seven years at $6 million a year to play in Tampa, where they don't have state income tax in Florida. Oh, yeah. And and he said no. Wow. So so there are a lot of Blues fans that are upset that he wasn't, you know, helping out the franchise and, you know, the guy hits free agency once or twice in his career. Yeah. At age 28, as a right-handed defenseman who's offensive, who offensive, who can uh, quarterback the power play, he is in demand. He is probably one of the best offensive four or five right-handed defensemen in the entire NHL. He's going to make six, seven, eight million, well, seven million dollars a year. 
uh, for seven years probably. And so choose where he wants to go. Exactly. What kind of situation? And if you know if he wants to go to New York and New York can only offer him six or six and a half, six and a half then that's his choice yeah. because that's where he wants to be. Totally get that. So I think Blues fans were hoping that there would be NHL-ready players that would come in this trade, and that obviously didn't happen. Here's the most interesting part to me. And Doug Armstrong has been under fire for a while now. How he's handled this trade, not trading earlier, not getting a trade done at the deadline, not not being able to sign Shattenkirk long-term because uh, there are too many contracts that are high-priced that he can't move so he doesn't have salary cap room. You know, he's under fire with Blues fans. Here's the most interesting part about the trade. That second round conditional trade, and there's a ton of conditions. If if uh, if if he stays with the team, if he signs with Washington long-term, or if they make the conference finals and he plays in half the games in the first two rounds, I mean, it's a, it's a long list of conditions. Wow. But, but the draft that trade is in is in 2019. So two years from now. Yep. And what you need to know is Doug Armstrong, his contract expires after next year, after the 2018 playoffs. So technically speaking, he traded for a draft pick, probably in the second round, uh, for a draft that he may may or may not be the general manager. But what that tells me, and then the fact that they didn't make any additions yesterday at the deadline. And, and like you said, they're fighting for the eighth spot just to get into the playoffs. Yeah, He didn't add a, a veteran or a big player like Drew Stafford, who was acquired for a six-round pick. Uh, P.A. Parento, who's who scored 20 or 30 goals a couple times for a six-round pick. They could have gotten help for a low draft pick and, and you know, tried to make it a good effort to get the eighth seed or move up to the seventh or all the way up to the third. They didn't do that. So, so that says to me that he is not under pressure to make something happen right now. And if he's trading for a draft pick in 2019, I think he fully expects to be the general manager in 2019. And I'm wondering that if sometime after the season ends, we're going to find out that, that Doug Armstrong has a contract extension in place that they've agreed to at some point during this year, and they're just waiting to announce it at the right time where, you know, maybe fans aren't quite as upset about how this season has gone. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, if that happens, I think there are going to be some really upset Blues fans on Twitter, Facebook, you know, wherever. Because, you know, it's been – since 2010 that Doug Armstrong has has taken control of the franchise as general manager. He was assistant GM for about a year before that under Larry Plo. This is his team completely. Everybody on this team has basically been drafted by him. Uh, you know, people signed, traded, uh, whatever. It This team is his team. Yeah. And they make it, you know, here's the final thing. They make it to the conference finals last year, the third round of the playoffs. The first time in 15 years. And what do they do? They don't add any anyone significantly other than David Perron. They let two guys go. They trade the starting goaltender, Brian Elliott, to Calgary. And and the, they then they bring back the, the oldest coach in the league for one more season for a team that's not built to his specifications, not his, his built not to his strong points. And then they go through all this turmoil and don't make any – upgrades at the deadline is it's just one bad thing after the other there are a lot of i think uh upset and frustrated blues fans that you know what you thought you thought making a conference finals was something to to build on and they didn't do that yeah kind of just went the opposite way of where most fans were really hoping they were going to go with that 
So absolutely. So Brad, I have this game I like to play with guests called Fair or Foul. I got okay. two two fair or fouls for you here. Number one, the Blackhawks are Satan's team. Fair or foul? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, uh, man? I, I've been telling these long stories. I got to make this one short. So on the internet on Yahoo Sports, there's a blog called Puck Daddy, run by a guy named Greg Wasinski, uh, who we actually had on our radio show last a week ago today. And at the end of at the season when it makes the playoffs, every time a team is eliminated. He has fans of a rival team or bloggers or writers from a rival team write a eulogy that's pretty much a roast for that team being eliminated. So two years, uh, two years ago, we wrote. I wrote the eulogy for right three years ago. Gosh, time flies. I wrote the eulogy for the Minnesota Wild, and that was when the Blues had been eliminated by the Wild, and uh, Devin Dubnik, the goaltender, basically had reclaimed his career from the ashes i mean he was basically released he was he he played horribly in edmonton of course they have horrible team defense in edmonton, oh yeah his career was his career was close to an end and somehow he became one of the top five goaltenders in all of the nhl overnight playing in minnesota so i wrote kind of a one-act play where devin dubnik sold his soul to the devil on a like <laughs> <laughs> on a rent to own basis so it was like every round of the playoffs and and it was basically like you know the satan says i'll help you this round but you got to sign this contract so i can hold your soul you know forever he's like yeah but i'm still not sure you can really help me so i, I want you to see what you can do he's like okay satan says yeah so so after they eliminate the blues basically devin dubnik in this one act play says you know what i think i believe in myself and i think i can do it myself and i don't think you've actually helped me at all and Satan says, fine, see what happens. He disappears. And they're eliminated by the Blackhawks. And in and in the handshake line after the thing, I have Patrick Kane shake hands with Devin Dubnik. And Kane says, I was really worried that you were going to go through the deal and sell your soul to my dad. But then you didn't. So we're moving on. You're not. And obviously, you don't want to win. And theme. So I've, I've been on board a couple of years thinking that, yeah, they're, they're basically – they're basically devil spawn. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Well, Brad, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we have a lot of sit- listeners outside of St. Louis, so can you tell them how to listen to your show and how to subscribe and buy yeah. Game Time if they don't live in the St. Louis market? You can get our stuff lots of different ways. It's kind of crazy. We just changed the name of the Twitter to Game Time Media because we're just all over the place. So the fastest way to find stuff is go to stlouisgametime.com, stlouisgametime.com. Uh, we have stories that we post every day, game threads and recaps and stuff. And we've also been posting links to our audio. So we, we started a radio show last week on 590 The Fan KFNS here in St. Louis. It also streams on InsideSTL.com. And we have our audio files for each segment uh, archived there. And you can pretty much download it as a podcast. You can sign up on iTunes or any of the Android podcast apps like TuneIn or Stitcher and, and listen to our two-hour pretty much all hockey talk radio show on a real am sports talk radio station it's crazy and then the the paper we do for every blues home game during the regular season in the playoffs uh you know we sell outside like i said outside the garage outside 14th street doors northeast corner of 14th and clark Um, but you can also send me an email at gtbradley at gmail.com gtbradley at gmail.com and we do subscriptions where it's half price to read to receive the pdf and uh, you can you get the paper 
the night before uh, home games and, and 24 pages of stuff all about that night's game and pretty much everything in the paper is new every single game. We they're only like the ads on the back page are, are repeat. The ads might repeat, but every piece of content, the rosters and stats and the stories and jokes and cartoon and everything is fresh every single game. I highly recommend it, folks. Uh, it's a good read. It's blue stuff. Even if you're not a blues fan, maybe not a hockey fan, I highly recommend checking it out. It's a good read. It will definitely entertain you. But, Brad, thanks for joining us. You uh, you set the bar high for all future guests on the Fumbling Punter. But <laughs> thanks for coming on. We look forward to talking to you maybe down the stretch of the regular season and maybe, just maybe, to get to talk some playoff hockey that's not about the Washington Capitals going to the conference finals so we right, can secure cool. that second pick. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool. I'll, I'll definitely do that. Yeah, let me know. All right. Thanks, Brad. All right. Thank you, man. So that was a real fun interview with Brad. Go give him a follow at GT Bradley and follow at STL Game Time Media on Twitter. Brad's our first guest. We really appreciate having him on here and him being able to make the time. Hopefully you all enjoy it. Give us some feedback. Now on to some football news. The Philadelphia Eagles are looking at possibly signing Jamal Charles. Uh, as you all know, Doug Peterson is looking to reunite with Jamal Charles. Peterson was the offensive coordinator in Kansas City before he took the job in Philadelphia. He also took along with him Chase Daniel. You all know I'm a big Chase Daniel guy. And so, you know, that might be a good fit for the Philadelphia Eagles and for Jamal. Uh, Kansas City has a couple of good backs in Spencer Ware, Charkandrick West. But, you know, good for Doug Peterson, good for Jamal Charles if they're able to get a deal done there. And more NFL news, the New England Patriots aren't expected to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, so that throws a big wrench in my quarterback carousel that you all may have read and that I've talked about on here before. But without Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, that really puts some teams in a little bit more need of a quarterback that may have an impact on the draft here in the next couple of months. I almost wonder if Robert Kraft didn't step in and put an end to these trade talks because if Bill Belichick was planning on leaving when Tom Brady retires, then Bill really doesn't wouldn't care as much about the future of the organization after he's gone and after Tom's gone. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bob wants an heir to Tom Brady and he thinks that Jimmy Garoppolo may be that guy and said, you know, we're not trading him. You know, it, I know that would improve the team right now. Try to help Bill and Tom get their, I can't even keep track of how many rings they have now, sixth ring. And so I'm sure that Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, had something to say about trading the future franchise quarterback of the New England Patriots. So that has been a real fun podcast today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Brad Lee for joining us. And this will be our last podcast of the week. Give you guys some time to catch up. Been one of our longer podcasts, but it's really worth it. It is a good one. So give us a follow on Twitter at Fumbling Punter. Retweet, share, and subscribe on iTunes and SoundClouds. For the Fumbling Punter, I am Devin Keeney. Have a good weekend, everyone.